and that we need product marketers to not only just to do the messaging and the positioning and the research and so on, but to really be the voice of the customer, the voice of the market, um, and to create, to bridge the gaps between product, between marketing, between our customer facing teams. And today, you know, I'm, I am proud to say that we do have a growing team of PMMs. We have, since I've joined, we have uh, other members of the, of the retention team uh, who have, have been also promoted to, to product marketing. And also we have new positions that have opened. And I think that kind of speaks uh, for itself in you know, Fiverr recognizing the need and the value of product marketing. So that, that kind of is how I identify uh, the success. Welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance and hosted by me, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jopper. Every two weeks, I pull insights from some of the world's most talented product marketers who uncover the secret sauce of successful product marketing. In this episode, I'm joined by Sapir Siegel, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Fiverr. Sapir has held a number of marketing and product marketing roles at various companies within the thriving Tel Aviv tech scene, including Octopost, Argus Cybersecurity Limited, and Potum. Today, Sapir and her colleagues at Fiverr provide a global platform connecting businesses with on-demand freelancers in the simplest way possible, helping anyone, anywhere succeed. During our chat, Sapir shares her experience as Fiverr's first official product marketing hire. She details her journey from its early days all the way up to her recent promotion into a senior role. For anyone looking to tackle their first role as a solo PMM or for guidance on how to navigate a promotion, Sapir offers some invaluable advice. All right, with that out of the way, let's dive in. Hey, Sapir, how's it going? Hello, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, thanks. Super excited to have you here today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, let's get into it then. I'll ask my first question here. Uh, can you walk our listeners through your product marketing journey and what you do at Fiverr? Yeah, wow, that's a big question. Um, so yeah, I joined Fiverr just over a year ago. And officially speaking, I was their, their first sort of product uh, marketing hire. Um, of course, there were other people in the company that were doing kind of different beats, bits and pieces of product marketing, but especially I was uh, the first PMM that they brought on board. And really, I came, I joined Fiverr with a, a very clear mission in mind, and that was to establish what product marketing is internally and position product marketing internally uh, to help different teams and stakeholders really understand uh, the purpose of this role, why it exists, and to to bring new frameworks into place that can help a lot of different teams just work uh, better, especially product and marketing, customer success and product marketing, and you know other teams that sort of uh, interact frequently with product marketing. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And, and thanks for that overview. And, and we'll get a lot deeper yes, into that exact we'll, we'll topic. We'll touch into each thing. Exactly. exactly. Because that's really what spurred on our conversation today was a LinkedIn post that you shared overviewing that experience in, in great detail. So we'll get to that in a sec. But before we do, um, comment and a question. So my first comment is I was actually surprised when I saw that you were Fiber's first product marketing hire. And I say that because I had worked for a player in a similar space previously in my career. And it had always seen Upwork and Fiber as you know kind of the two biggest players in the space and i always found that the way that they went to market and really how they position and invest themselves to be quite exemplary and kind of the the benchmark that we often compared ourselves to internally so i'm surprised to hear that because it sounds like yes fiverr really had you know their stuff together when it came to that part of the business 
And and they did, and they did. And I do want to like clarify that, you know, it's not that, um, I, I think one of the things about Fiverr, and I always, I always say this to people, at Fiverr, there's the general culture is that when there is a void, there is no void. Meaning if it wasn't, there, there's no, this. the company is post IPO. Obviously they did something right. Obviously they had their go-to-market strategy uh, put together. Uh, what my role is in, in being the first official PMM hire was more about standardizing product marketing. So I think the company, you know, even if you've had different roles, and I'm sure we'll touch on what those different kind of functions within Fiverr look like. Um, so even though you had different job functions, different people, different teams that were touching on areas of product marketing, like go-to-market research, like uh, positioning and messaging, uh, doing even kind of success stories and things like that, different sort of domain uh, in product marketing, it wasn't centralized. It was in different departments. There weren't clear frameworks for how you do product marketing. And that was my sort of role to consolidate everything, to bring some structure and to even just point out and say, this is product marketing and it, you know, and, 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 and we're going to be a point of contact for it. Me and the, and now the growing team of PMMs. Yeah. And that makes a ton of sense. And it, and it was, was it that observation of that lack of structure or frameworks that was the reason why Fiverr decided to bring in a PMM or was there another moment or experience or project that made everybody look internally and think, oh, actually, we, we really need someone to fill this role. So I think there were, there were three sort of main reasons for, for the hire. The, the first one was, okay, we see this uh, product marketing role sort of popping up everywhere. And especially, you know, in the Tel Aviv high-tech scene, you know, there was like a booming, uh, like a, a trend of suddenly every company is hiring product marketers. And, you know, sometimes this is also the first official marketing hire after hiring a CMO. So there was that growing popularity and saying, well, we're a, a, a global company. Why don't we have this role? So that was the first reason. The second reason is, like you said, to, to bring that structure and just to have even just someone with a fresh perspective come in and say, this is how we do it. This is like, this is it. This is, is it. This isn't product marketing. And, uh, and finally, the third reason and something that was really communicated to me throughout the whole uh, recruitment process is we, five are sort of saying, you know, we have, um, we have a challenge. And one of our biggest challenges is how do we differentiate uh, Fiverr business, which is the product that I'm focusing on, and, and that's our, our, our upmarket uh, product, and, and the marketplace, which is the green Fiverr, the one that everyone you know, understands and has millions of users. And how do we differentiate between the two? And here, they also needed someone to sort of come in and help them with that differentiation, help them with the positioning, uh, and so on. So those are the main three reasons. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a bit of a perfect storm there. So it <laughs> makes a ton of sense as to why they brought you on. Awesome. Well, we'll, like I said earlier, get into kind of your experience coming on board and setting up the function in a little bit more detail here. But before I do, I have a bit of a selfish question. Uh, and again, as I said earlier, you know, I've had some experience working in a two-sided marketplace myself. So I wanted to pick your brain. What are, in your opinion, some of the inherent challenges and opportunities that come with being a product marketer working at a two-sided marketplace like Fiverr? That's a great question, Mark. Uh, I think so. One of the one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to join Fiverr was because of the being that two sided marketplace. It excited me 
to to be able to be to work on such a large scale where you have the clients on one side and the freelancers on the other side and you get to really understand such diverse uh, and large target uh, markets. Uh, one of the challenges I think that, that come with this, and I can only speak from my personal experience, is how do you maintain the uh, a balance between respecting the interests and 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 and, and addressing the interests of both side, both parties? And I will just kind of add a disclaimer here that. Uh, in Fiverr, you have teams that are dedicated to the freelancers and to addressing their needs and to providing solutions for them. But you also have teams, product teams and customer success teams and everything that are dedicated to addressing the needs of the clients of the businesses. Me specifically, I focus on Fiverr business and the clients, the business side. And I can tell you uh, that what, from, from, our, from our side, from my side, one of the challenges that we experience in Fiverr business is that we constantly, you know, we want to attract top clients by exposing uh, freelancers that are highly skilled, that are highly professional. And so how do you, on one hand, show highly skilled talent and the best talent available in the marketplace, on the platform? But on the other hand, you want to give freelancers the opportunity to expose themselves and you don't want to... Um, to, to, to neglect certain freelancers, you want to really, they, at the end of the day, have a, have a need to grow their revenue stream and to, to showcase their work. So although we, you know, as a, as a PMM, I'm focusing on showcasing highly skilled freelancers and, and constantly highlighting that in our messaging, on the freelancer side, we still want to give them the opportunity to uh, to, to equip them with the tools to succeed, to grow, to show their expertise, to, to show them, um, to show off their skills. And then that way we're, we're giving them an opportunity also to grow with us, if that makes sense. So again, finding the balance and, and that's a, for the freelancer side, that's a classic, uh, product marketing role, giving them the tools, giving them the right onboarding to, to really position themselves in the marketplace. Yeah, it's so funny. As you're talking, I was reliving experiences that I had in, in my previous company that were almost exactly as you described them. Um, you're right. When you're working in this, you know, double-sided marketplace, sometimes what's best for one side isn't always what's best for the other side, or maybe not as optimal. So you kind of, as you said, have to really strike that balance. And I remember um, that always coming up whenever it came to project pricing, right? Um, yes. You know, clients, they have budgets, they got to stay on budget. They want to obviously get the best uh, uh, that they can and the, their bang for their buck. But on the flip side, you want to make sure that the freelancers are being paid, you know, accordingly and fairly for their for their talents and their services. And sometimes one side's expectations and the other side's don't align. And in the marketplace or as the marketplace, you find yourself in the middle and navigating that I always found so interesting and, and such a challenge. And yep. as a product marketer, you're in the middle of that marketplace. So you're yes. often hearing it from all those different teams that you reference who have their own customers' interests in mind. So I say this, and I think your answer really highlights this, for product marketers who really want to find themselves in this dynamic, you know, challenging environment, pursuing a dual-sided marketplace is a great opportunity and a great way for you to really see it from both sides and really navigate some of those interesting challenges that come up. Yeah, and 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 I, I agree, and I think in Fiverr also we have a lot of, uh, and and I think also many companies in, in similar with a, with a similar sort of marketplace uh, product, where you you also have an opportunity to sometimes be on one side and then experience another side. So for 
for me today, I'm focusing on on the clients, but that's not to say that maybe in a year from now, I'm going to, you know, switch to, to the freelancer side, but having the perspective from the client side will always help um, to, to work on the, to address the freelancer side. So yeah, it's a, it's an, it's an exciting place to be in. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's get into the topic at hand then today. And that was really, like I said earlier, what spurred on this conversation was this fantastic LinkedIn post that you shared about your experiences as the first product marketer hire at Fiverr. And obviously you've already spoken um, to some of that, but I want to dig a bit deeper. And, you know, in that post, you mentioned that a key part of helping internal teams understand what product marketing is, was to also highlight what it wasn't. So I'm curious, why did you decide to position product marketing against teams like brand, product management, and retention marketing? And what were some of the key distinctions that you made? So that's a, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, Within five, and like I said earlier, when there's a void, there is no void, right? So even though there wasn't a product marketing role by definition, you had different teams, different functions, different individuals who were kind of touching on, on different areas of product marketing or doing things that are similar to product marketing, but not exactly. Um, so specifically the three teams that you mentioned, retention, uh, brand, and products. I'll try to kind of touch on each one. Uh, so our brand team uh, at Fiverr that, you know, they're located, they're based in the U.S. And, you know, their role is really, we have a, a big brand team and their role is really to position Fiverr as, as, as a brand, as a, as a, as a um, you know, as, as the, we, we have the vision and the mission and, and, and all of the, the key values that we want to promote as a, as a company and all of the sub products that fall under Fiverr. So for me, I think firstly, I had to really distinguish between brand positioning and product positioning where brand positioning, as I just mentioned, it's all about how is the, the, the five, the perception of Fiverr and building that trust around Fiverr and all the products, all the sub-brands that come under Fiverr because Fiverr is a big company. We've acquired lots of companies also. So it's a bit more macro. And then product positioning, which is zooming in on a specific product, for example, the core marketplace or Fiverr business, which is where I'm at, and then differentiating that product from our competitors from our competitors, uh, build understanding the specific target audience, the specific personas uh, of that product. So it's for me, it was very important to kind of establish the differences between the two and to show that, you know, I'm not here to step on your toes. You're not here to step on my toes. You, you guys are doing a great job, but here is a gap. And one of those gaps is, is kind of uh, fine-tuning our product positioning, not our brand positioning. So that was important because I got a lot of questions around that which I needed to clarify. That's on the brand side. And I can tell you that when building the product positioning for Fiverr Business, I also worked very closely uh, with the brand team and they were very much involved in the process uh, of you know, aligning with that. So that's on the brand. Uh, the retention team at Fiverr is also a really big retention team, is also a very big uh, and dominant team. And actually today, some of them have transitioned into a product marketing role, because of that understanding of what is product marketing and what is retention. So the retention team at Fiverr are very much, they're also divided into buyers and sellers, freelancers and clients. And they are really focused uh, on driving growth, uh, driving buyer or seller growth, driving the spend per buyer, uh, doing, building all, executing and planning all kinds of campaigns to increase um, the lifetime value of the customer. 
So their role is very retention focused. And of course, some of them were also touching on areas of product marketing. For example, when there is a release, a product release, they were communicating those product releases. So I think it was, again, trying to clarify which areas are classic retention focused only and which areas are more in the areas, you know, like product releases and maybe some messaging work, which areas are more product marketing and how can we differentiate and centralize those efforts under one sort of hat or under one team that's called product marketing. And then finally, product. So the product team at Fiverr, because the product isn't, uh, it's, not, it's not complex, right? It's not a cybersecurity product. So a lot of our product team, you know, they, they do a lot of uh, product-led growth initiatives, which today we hear a lot. And I know that on LinkedIn, I see a lot of people talking about whether product-led growth is product marketing, whether it's product. You know, I really see it as a collaboration uh, between the, the PMM and the PM. And that's, and that's also what I communicated internally. How can we build a better collaboration? How can we collaborate and partner better with product to ensure that there is, to, to really maximize product adoption? So with the product team, it was more about um, building a, a stronger partnership, uh, introducing new frameworks like uh, such as a product uh, release framework where we work together from, from development, from product design and development, all the way until product, uh, uh, product launch and expansion and working and, and collaborating from start to finish in order to, uh, to, to, to really align on who the target audience is, on who, uh, what the use cases are, and how do we want to bring this new feature or this new product to, to market. I love that. Honestly, Sapir, I feel like you could teach that as a class. That was such a like a <laughs> perfect framing for product marketing in terms of what it is and what it isn't and how it compares to other teams. Like that was textbook. So thank you so much. I'm sure our listeners will get a ton of value of even just that answer alone. Um, there's there's so much goodness in what you just said, and I want to highlight on a couple different things because I think they're they're worth repeating. First, I'm surprised to hear retention marketing was doing the release communications and messaging because. I don't often hear that being the case. Typically what I've heard or what I've even experienced is like a PM will be charged by doing that. And you know, the, the product team will reluctantly write release notes and communication. So it's interesting to hear that there was a retention or expansion team doing that. So that, I, I found that interesting. Um, and, and I really like the way that you frame the difference between brand and product marketing. Because again, I've, I haven't always worked at organizations um, where there's been a, a strong brand team and a strong brand presence. So I haven't myself had to navigate that interesting relationship between, like you said, you know, brand kind of exists at this top company-wide level and then product marketing is more focused at the product level. So I think the way that you framed it as, you know, you didn't come in, you didn't say, well, brand, I'm going to tell you how to, you know, we should reposition Fiverr as this and you're doing this great, but maybe we should talk about Fiverr like this. You worked within the brand and, and kind of underneath the brand and, and I would imagine maybe use the brand as the shining light and guide and then did all your product yes. positioning under that umbrella so that it didn't feel like a different experience when you're reading about, you know, Fiverr in a ad uh, online, or if you're browsing the, the website and then you get into product and you're hearing it talked in a completely different way. You really want that consistency to live across exactly. all the places, you know, our customer might be engaging with the company. Exactly. And maybe one more thing to, to, to mention. And like you said, I also prior to joining Fiverr, I hadn't really, like, I didn't really work with a dedicated brand team and here. Um, you know, you have a whole team and they're focusing on community growth and on 
and on on building that trust in the marketplace and 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 they're doing a lot of mass communication and I think that was another thing that I really wanted to 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 distinguish between product marketing and brand. Brand is focusing a lot on mass communication. You know, billboards, TV ads, uh, the Super Bowl campaign. These are. It's not to say that in some companies, I'm sure product marketing also has you know some role. But because we have a team who's dedicated to this, it was important for me to say, okay, well, mass communication is speaking to to everyone, right? It's like one message fits all. Whereas product marketing, it's a bit more segmented messaging. You have different personas, you have different uh, maybe sub products. And, and here the work is a bit more, uh, I think, I don't want to say granular, but it's a, bit, it's a bit more detailed or a little bit more uh, laser focused, I guess, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I can agree with you more there. So, so let's shift gears ever so slightly and just focus a little bit more on some of the first things you did when you arrived. I know you referenced them a bit earlier, but I really want to hone in on a couple of things. So I think when a lot of product marketers start at a new company, they're often tasked with, you know, we have a release coming out in two weeks, help us get it mm-hmm. out the door. Or oh, yes. we, we have a big deal we're working on. We need a pitch deck, right? You always hear those stories of, I got thrown into Seven the deep <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, I got thrown in with no real guidance or onboarding. I just hit the ground running. And a lot of product marketers thrive in that situation. And, you know, we, we, we make do. But what I found so fascinating about your experience is that you really pushed to, with your key stakeholders, to go through this experience of writing this new narrative for Fiverr business. And how, how did you talk with those stakeholders to get them on board and realizing like why this was a good first thing for you to focus on over the first three months of joining the company? Yes. So, um, I, I, I do agree that I, and I have a lot of my PMM friends and I noticed that sometimes product marketers can get into the, the habit of being uh, service providers, which is fine because, you know, we are that bridge between different teams. And I think it is important to always provide our service and so on, but also to, to be able to introduce new frameworks and to be a voice of maybe a voice of change or a voice of, of, uh, of, of new messaging of, of customer insights to bring our own fresh perspective. And I think that also goes to, to many other roles, not just product marketers. Um, but to, to your question, one of the, the baseline for, for where I started was we need to differentiate Fiverr Marketplace from Fiverr Business. And the baseline was teach us, you know, show us the way. Um, so that starting point also gave me the, the I, I want to say the privilege to to really, you know, spread my wings and do um and and, and explore and uh, and and build something from scratch and that was an amazing opportunity and one of the reasons why I took on uh, this role. But I did need I still needed to get the support the internal support especially of C levels and different stakeholders who. Have been at the company for a very long time. I'm talking, you know, six years, eight years at the company, and here I am, someone new, and telling them like, okay, this is how we do things. Um, the way I went about that is through a lot of transparency uh, and uh, listening to feedback and constantly involving them in the process. What I mean by that, uh, when I joined. Fiverr, I told them, you know, about this, uh, this framework called narrative design. And I know you guys also have a certificate on this. Uh, I think that's led, led by Marcus uh, Andrews, right? 
So Marcus Andrews is unofficially my mentor. I don't know if he's, he will hear this, but he's unofficially my mentor. And even before I joined Fiverr, I spoke to him. I knew that this is going to be one of my biggest sort of projects for the next six months coming into Fiverr. And I consulted him on how, how should I go about this? And he actually shared with me a lot of great insights in using that narrative design framework, which our listeners can also read about more on, in the PMA and, uh, and, and, and on Google. But using this framework, I was able to actually tell, you know, present to the different stakeholders, this is the journey I'm going to be taking. I'm going to be starting with research. And then from that research, I'm going to be building a narrative design. Um, I'm going to be designing the narrative for, for Fiverr Business. You're going to be involved in all the different stages. And I map the different stages, for example, research, um, messaging, uh, messaging creation, go to market, you know, all the different stages that are important for them to give me feedback. And through that transparency and communicating the, the framework and the need for such framework, I was able to, to win their, uh, their support. And throughout every stage, I involved them. I shared with them the, the insights that I gathered. And after sharing those insights, I got feedback and, and adjusted the process. I think that's so incredibly smart for a number of reasons, a couple of which I'll touch on. First, I know I've been guilty of this myself. I think oftentimes PMMs will fall into the trap of being the new hire or coming into a new team and be like, I'm a PMM. You know, I've done the courses. I've read all the books. I was talking to the, I've spoken to the experts. I know what's best. I'm going to go hole away in, you know, at my desk for the next three months, whatever it might be. And I'm going to come back to you with this amazing project uh, or output. And it's going to be, it'll, it'll knock your socks off. You're going to love it. But then over that period, you don't inter interact with the people you need to be interacting with. You don't get them brought into the experience as, as you did. And then when you go to present it, it kind of falls flat because exactly. you're spending a lot of that kind of setting things up, doing all the preamble, the context so that you get them to understand what you're presenting them as opposed to the, the path that you took, which was a lot you know, smarter is taking them along for the journey throughout the entire thing. So I, I think yeah. that's fantastic advice in and of itself. What I'll also say is, you know, again, plug for, for Marcus's course. I also took that course as well. And I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I think, like you said, he's the kind of unofficial, you know, uh, narrative design <laughs> expert. And I think a lot of times, again, as an aspiring PMM or, or junior PMM, you see these individuals who seem like, oh my gosh, they're, they're geniuses of, of their craft. They've been doing this for years. They'd never want to talk to lowly old me. And like, I have been proven every time I thought that way to be wrong. These people are so approachable, especially Marcus. Like Marcus is great not yes. to, you know, keep, keep talking about how awesome he is. But <laughs> in general, you know, like you take an April Dunford, for example. I recently attended a, session, a PMM summit in Toronto where she spoke and she was like more than happy to chat with attendees afterwards. People were coming up to her asking her questions, advice on their own, you know, companies or products. And, and these people who you put on these pedestals of being, like I said, these geniuses, they're more than happy to help. So if anybody finds themselves in situations sort of the one that, you know, you yourself experience where they're starting this project for the first time, like don't be afraid to talk to, to the experts out there because oftentimes they will be more than happy to chat with you. And thank you so much for sharing your experience because again, much like your previous answer, I think it just sets such a good framework for how tackling an narrative design exercise like the one you did should be done. And thank you. I appreciate that. I think if there was maybe just one more um, thing that I, I sort of forgot to mention and that's mapping um, the stakeholders and aligning on who the stakeholders should be already at the beginning of the process and telling those stakeholders that, hey, you guys are going to be involved. 
this is where I'm going to involve you at different stages. This is where I'm going to get your feedback. And I worked very closely with my manager at the time who, um, you know, to map those individuals, like such a big company. So how do you also, you don't want to have, um, you know, an overload of opinions. You don't want everyone being involved, but you want to have the right individuals involved and the right buy-in. And that was really important, identifying those uh, stakeholders and making sure that they're involved and giving the feedback in the right uh, stages so that when we come with the final presentation and the final narrative strategy, it's already after all the feedback has been consolidated. Yeah, you're, you're so right. Again, I, I think, again, a, a lot of times, and again, speaking personally, I know I've done this, you fall into this trap of you want to make sure everybody's happy with what you've done. So you, you practically yeah. get all these different people's input and feedback and it ends up, you know, being this output by committee, whatever the output is. And it, it's never as good as if you were to just say, to your point, mapping out who the key stakeholders are, taking them along to the journey, you know, finding the right opportunities, ask them for feedback on different things, but also realizing like, much like you said at the beginning, you know, I'm PMM, I've been brought into this role because you've identified that I know what I'm doing. So I'll take your feedback, but I might not necessarily always act on it or, I will yeah. give you the venue to share your ideas, but ultimately I'm going to take what I can and, and maybe, you know, ignore the things that might not be as helpful as, as, as that individual might think. So I think that's a, a great distinction. So thank you for sharing that as well. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> awesome. Looking to propel your product, prove your strategic value and transform your career prospects? Sign up for Product Marketing Certified Core the comprehensive product marketing course designed with current and aspiring product marketers in mind. Boost your confidence and competence as a multifaceted expert by journeying through 11 key modules, 128 exam questions, and more than 20 actionable templates with training on pricing strategies, market research, messaging and positioning, go-to-market, and more. By the end, you'll earn a certification accredited by the Chartered Institute of Marketing and the CPD Certification Service, trusted by thousands of your peers and sought after by brands like HubSpot, Google, TikTok and Adobe. We mean it when we say you're learning from the best of the best. So if you're looking to transition into product marketing or become a strategic growth machine in your current role, take the leap and get certified. So. One thing that I also found really interesting about as part of this narrative uh, design exercise, it was this element of conducting competitive research. And you actually asked for a budget to do that. And I think a lot of times, especially in the given kind of economic climate we find ourselves in, EMMs really struggle or are very hesitant to ask for a budget. So how did you go about doing that? And was there any pressure for you to come back at the end and show an ROI on that budget? In order to get buy-in for the competitive uh, research, I wanted to acknowledge that there, were a, there was a lot of great research that had already been done at Fiverr. A lot of teams, we have you know, an internal market research team, we have product teams, we have marketing teams that are all speaking to customers or maybe looking to some extent at the competitors. So the first thing that I did was try to understand what research had already been done to map that research, to consolidate it, uh, to bring it into one place. And then after consolidating the research to be able to identify the blind spots. For example, um, you know, there was great market research that was done about around in 2020 and 2019, uh, and also a lot of customer interviews that were documented uh, and some persona research that was done 
And it was all done also by very different teams. And that's, that's you know, one of the reasons I think why Fiverr really needed product marketing uh, to be able to centralize those efforts. So first thing I did was consolidate all the research that was done. Once I consolidated the research, I was able to see, okay, so I have this information, I have this information, I have uh, this general information, maybe some of it is outdated. And then I was able to spot the blinds, but the gaps, where the gaps are in the research. And with the gaps, I went to my manager and I said, look, this is all the research I have. I'm going to be using all of this research, but here's what I'm missing, X, Y, Z. And some of that fell under competitive, um, competitive research. Uh, and I told you know my manager, I explained why I wanted to do the competitive research, how it's going to help me and what output they're going to get. So what's the final piece, what's the presentation, what's like the, the final thing that they're going to get um, from, from, from the budget that they're giving me. And that final output was going to be a detailed competitor research uh, that breaks down the messaging, the product journey. Of those, uh, of those key competitors, the direct competitors, a mapping of the direct competitors and the indirect competitors, uh, and also niche players that are emerging in the market. This is what I promised, and this is how I was able to get uh, the budget. And yes, <laughs> it worked. <laughs> yeah, again, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. I think that's one of the often questions that I know we get asked whenever we want to pursue research internally at Jobber and even at past companies, it's, well, don't we already know this? And I think as a PMM and as you did, you kind of have to put the effort into answering that question and saying, well, yeah, like, let me actually go take a look. Maybe we already have this research done somewhere. So as you said, I think in doing that, you get to show your manager, whoever's asking, hey, we have this stuff and it's fantastic. But to your point, these are the gaps. This is what we're missing. And in order for me to fill those gaps, I need you know, X amount to, to go do that. And, and I really like how you framed it as, you know, you're going to give me this money, I'm going to do this research, and this is what you're going to get out of it. I think so often, so often we as PMMs can get so focused on, well, I need this money because these are the competitors I'm going to focus on and these are the questions I need to answer. And when then we fail to focus on the so what, like what, what's going to be the output? Yeah, what are we going to really do like with how research? You, exactly, right? Like if you're going to spend all this money and spend all this time and answer all these questions, like to what end? So I, I, I appreciate you sharing that experience because I think it helps, again, frame product marketers who are finding themselves in the same situation. It's like, frame yourself in the so what? what what's the end of this experience going to look like? And what are you going to be able to give to your manager, your internal teams, your, your stakeholders, whoever it might be, to feel like that money was well spent? And it doesn't necessarily have to be, oh, you know, the return on this spend was X percent. It's like, no, we, we exactly. answer these questions and we have these outputs now, and this is going to help us make more informed decisions down the road, which could save us money, could help us you know, generate more revenue, whatever that might be. But at least, you know, you have that foundation to start from. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think if you're also a PMM in general, who's just joining a new company, one of the, um, the, the best things you can do is start with the research and start with understanding your, your competitors and the key players in the market. And even just communicating to your manager that, uh, you know, even if there's no positioning that needs to be built, you just want to be good at your job. Uh, and, and in that onboarding phase, which sometimes is only one month, right? Uh, you, you sometimes only have one month to onboard a new company and to understand your product. Um, so using that month to really investigate the competitors. And sometimes that means getting some budget to, to really see the full competitor product from end to end, uh, not just the beginning, not just the free trial, but also 
really examining the product uh, to the fullest potential, that can also just improve your your whole perception on what your product offers that that your competitors' products don't and helps you be a better PMM. 100%, right? Like, you know, on the surface, a lot of the competitors, if you're just browsing their website or doing the free trial, as you said, you get that surface level understanding, but to really yeah. understand and appreciate that differentiation between yourself and some competitor, you got to dig deep. And sometimes that takes a little bit of money. Yeah. And I think, again, as if you can frame it the way that you did, asking for that money is a little bit easier. We'll jump to my second to last question here. And I, I want to start, you know, first by congratulating you on, you know, getting a promotion this year and becoming a senior PMM. And again, based on everything you shared, no surprise, very well deserved, I'm sure. I'm curious, though, can you share with the listeners, you know, how you navigated that conversation and, and what was, you know, really considered as part of that decision to elevate your role? And if you can, I think it'd be great if you could share some advice, anyone listening who they themselves might feel like it's time for them to, to make that jump and, and any advice you can share, I think they'd really appreciate. So first of all, thank you. It was really um, exciting also to have this opportunity, especially one year after uh, I entered uh, the position. When I joined Fiverr, there was one major KPI that was unofficial, it was unspoken of. And that was how, does, how is product marketing perceived in the organization? And does it have real value in, at, at Fiverr? And can we, you know, is there room for more product marketers? And so I don't want to kind of, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think one of the unofficial KPIs is how do I demonstrate the value of product marketing and showing that there is indeed a, a need for, for such a role. And I think one of the, the main reasons or one of the reasons that my manager told me is that I I've been able to demonstrate that uh, there, there is such a, there is a gap and that we need product marketers to not only just to do the messaging and the positioning and the research and so on, but to really be the voice of the customer, the voice of the market, um, and to create, to bridge the gaps between product, between marketing, between our customer-facing teams. And today, you know, I'm, I am proud to say that we do have a growing team of PMMs. We have, since I've joined, we have uh, other members of the, of the retention team uh, who have, have been also promoted to, to product marketing. And also we have new positions that have opened. And I think that kind of speaks uh, for itself in you know, Fiverr recognizing the need and the value of product marketing. So that, that kind of is how I identify uh, the success. Um, so the way I navigated the conversation is, is having that kind of really speak, uh, speak for itself and, and, and recognize as, as, as the value. Hope I answered that question. <laughs> um, and then to your second question about advice, you know, PMMs that are kind of looking to, to get promoted. I think one of the things that I really like to do, and I always tell this also to, to my colleagues or to product marketers who uh, approach me on LinkedIn, is it's not, it's not just about the output. It's also about the process. It's not always about the final outcome. It's also about how you communicate. Uh, the final outcome and how you communicate your process leading to the final outcome. And this is something that I, I always like to do. If I'm working on a big project, uh, for example, one of the biggest, one of the bigger projects that I recently worked on was launching um, a customer success uh, stories hub. This is, we you know, we had here and there success stories that we documented for Fiverr Business, but nothing, you know, nothing again, nothing centralized, nothing that was really official, no real resource hub that you could come in and, 
and browse and experience. And for me, that was a big sort of undertaking because I had to not only look at, not only approach different teams and think about, okay, how do I position myself as the go-to for customer stories and use cases and testimonials, but also how do I build an internal process for identifying customers for case studies, interviewing those customers, uh, packaging those case study, those stories into uh, those interviews into stories and then publishing and distributing them. So that entire process, I want, I, my, my goal was to communicate how I built it, not just to show, oh, here's the, here's the customer stories hub, enjoy. I wanted to really take them into the back, into the, into kind of the behind the scenes of how I establish this process internally. And part of doing that is really, again, getting, getting that appreciation and getting the, um, the trust um, internally. And, and the more that you showcase your process and the more that you show uh, the journey that you take and the effort that you put in, I think that's what helps to be, to be recognized also internally and to help also, I think, with, uh, with getting promotion. Yeah, I, I hope I that answered your question. Absolutely, <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. I think, like you said, it's easy to get hung up on the output, right? Like at the end of the day, I'm going to give this presentation or we're going to go to market with this release. Um, but the more you can take people along for the journey, as you said it, and really show them how much effort goes into good product marketing, the deeper appreciation they will have. It's the same way when, you know, we tell each other as product marketers, you know, go sit with the sales team and see what it's like to, to be in the phone call. And it gives you that deep yeah. appreciation for how hard sales can be or go sit with the customer success team. See mm -hmm. what it's like to deal with upset customers or try and win back a customer that you've lost. So in the same way that we do that with other teams, you really should be doing it for yourself. And that's to your point, gives product marketing that visibility, elevates the role in yourself internally. And really, like you said, demonstrates the value, not just for the output, but for the amount of effort it can go into doing some of those bigger media product marketing uh, projects. I think that's fantastic advice. Yes. And if you have also measurable KPIs to, to show for it, Obviously, that can you know speak much louder than just the process. So, if at the end of the day, um, you know, when I also showed just to kind of go back to to the example about this customer stories hub, um, showing also how much traffic we're bringing in and 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 where and how those case studies actually translate into uh, higher conversions and retention, then that can also um, influence the the promotion. Yeah, absolutely. Where you can lean into the data, absolutely do it for do those <laughs> situations. Yeah, for the situations where maybe the, the data is harder to get, or there's maybe uh, less tangible things to point to. I think your advice of the process is is, is a great uh, bit to take away there. So awesome. Well, we'll get to our last question here before I let her go. Uh, let you go, I should say. <laughs> and uh, it's one that I've just recently started asking to some of my guests as part of our new season. So I'll ask you, um, what's an area of focus within the realm of product marketing? or close to it, that you think product marketers will have to pay extra attention to this year, more so than in previous years? Yeah, so this is, uh, <laughs> this is a, it's a challenging question because I'm, always, I'm also looking always at, at, on LinkedIn and trying to you know, spot the, the opportunities or emerging trends. Um, and I think to, you know, to, to tr I want to try and tackle this maybe in, on two fronts. There is the practical and there's the innovative side. So on the more 
practical side. I think if last year of 2022, right, we're in 2022. Um, so 2022 was a lot about you know, product-led growth and everyone's speaking about PLG and how do we transition from a sales-led company to a product-led company. I think this year, and and especially as more and more PMNs adopt tools like AppQs and uh, Pendo.io and a lot of these technologies to improve uh, the in-product communication and experiences, I think in 2023, it's how, how do we use those tools, like, like I mentioned, to create simpler experiences. In other words, if you're working on a product onboarding, um, how do we communicate less inside the product? How do we actually um, need the need to say less? Uh, I think when product marketing is done well, it's actually when you have less explaining to do. So if your product is more self-explanatory, if uh, you know you can work more with the product team on building the right landing experience so that when someone, a, a first-time user enters your product, again, for the first time, they get, you know, it's self-explanatory um, and, and there's less explaining to do, there's less widgets and less pop-ups and less of that, maybe that could actually lead to um, to a higher retention or a higher sign-up rate or higher purchase rate or whatever it is that you're me measuring in the top of funnel. So I think less is sometimes more and making your product a little bit more self-explanatory to avoid the need for over-communication and over, um, you know, an exploit, I want to say an, exploita an exploitation of those uh, in-apps and, and all the, the widgets and so on. And on the more innovative level, you know, we've been hearing a lot about AI and I can tell you that I've been, I've, I've been reading a lot about AI and seeing on LinkedIn also a lot of great posts about how PMNs and, and, and product managers uh, uh, can leverage AI tools and harness them for, for, you know, in their own role. And one of the things that I, you know, I, I see AI as a great opportunity also for PMNs uh, in, 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 in our day-to-day. -day. So how can we harness those tools in our day-to-day -to, -day to improve uh, to streamline our processes, to make different processes easier. For example, uh, doing customer interviews. I recently hopped on a customer interview and I was a bit late. I was actually running late to a customer interview. I had 15 minutes to prepare and I thought, oh God, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to prepare? And I opened ChatGPT and I started, you know, speaking to ChatGPT, explaining, giving them the scenario of writing a prompt of, Hi, you are a product marketing manager about to interview a customer on XYZ uh, and, and, and giving them the prompt of, of creating those questions for me. And sometimes, you know, it's almost like having, uh, it's almost like having an assistant by your side who can help, you know, enrich your question. You know, in this case, I'm talking about customer questions, but maybe we can use AI to enrich our messaging and maybe we can use it to enrich you know, all kinds of, 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 of processes that, or, you know, things that we're working on, projects that we're working on. And yeah, so experimenting with AI and seeing how it can, it can help make our job easier. Yeah, I love that. I think you're right. You hear a lot on LinkedIn or elsewhere in the news about, you know, chat GPT and other similar generative AI tools. And I think your example, in my opinion, highlights kind of like the best use case as it exists today is, using them as a source of, of inspiration almost, right? I, you know, I, yes. I definitely think we're a long time away, and I know I'm not the first person to say this, so that's not earth shattering in any uh, regard, but you know, we're a long time away from AI replacing 
roles like product marketers or, you know, skilled individuals that, you know, require a lot of analysis and kind of critical thinking, you know, things that today are just challenging for an AI to do. But where AI can really lend a hand, as you've illustrated, is helping with those kind of jumping off points, you know, giving a prompt, mm-hmm. sets up the situation, and then pointing in a direction and then putting on your PMM hat to say, oh, you know, this is a good area to explore. I'm going to dig deeper with the customer in this topic and ask follow-up questions. And that's something that an AI today would obviously struggle to do in a real-life scenario. Um, I think that's fantastic advice. And I'm sure there's product marketers every day doing similar things. Uh, so <laughs> there's no, uh, no lack of guidance on the best way to do that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I think ins- you're right. I inspiration. Think that- inspiration is, is really the key word there. I think just sometimes, you know, you're, you're so into your, your work. And sometimes, like in the situation that I was right, you know, suddenly had to kind of switch to a different mindset to interview a client, to interview a customer for, for a success story. And, you know, I needed that inspiration and the chat, the, the, the AI really helped me to kind of expand my, my, my outlook and to, to expand, you know, the questions that I would have typically asked. So I think, you know, using that as a tool to just improve, like what, you know, what you generally do, it's not going to replace you, but it definitely is going to make your, your life much easier and give you, it's a, an amazing source of inspiration, as you said. Agreed. Well, listen, Sapir, this has been a fantastic conversation. You know, we've had a lot of similar experiences in our career working for two-sided marketplaces, um, and I could keep talking to you forever, but I do realize that, <laughs> you know, we got to let you go at some point. Um, and before, you know, AI comes to replace product marketing and product management and all the roles <laughs> that we have here today, um, and someone does want to ask you questions for your experience and expertise on, you know, how to set up the PMM function, how to get buy-in from your internal stakeholders, whether it's for budget, for new projects, so on and so forth, all the great things you just touched on, what would be the best place for them to reach out to you? So our LinkedIn is the best place. You know, just connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy um, to speak to fellow PMMs and to answer any questions uh, you have. So feel free to connect there. Awesome. And I, and I believe in a you know, build up to our conversation, you also mentioned that, uh, you know, the PMA is heading to Tel Aviv very soon. Yes. And you yourself <laughs> might be uh, speaking or at least attending if you can make yeah. it work. So for anyone interested yeah. to, to meet you uh, potentially face to face, absolutely, I would check that event out. Yes, I would love to meet you guys. And uh, that's uh, I'm really excited about this summit coming to Tel Aviv and the PMA. Just having that presence now in Tel Aviv, I think it it really speaks for for product marketing, having that kind of position in, in, in the Tel Aviv uh, uh, ecosystem. Absolutely. Well, like I said, this has been great, Sapir. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I'll let you go. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye, Mark. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer, and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to spot to an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.